0: hello there everybody welcome back to another edition of the severe mma podcast and today it's everyone's favorite podcast it's the state of the ufc address with myself and your guy spencer kite we're going to be going through every division we're going to be looking at every division. We're going to be looking at who's the next contender, who's doing well towards the top, who are the best up-and-comers, and there's no one better in the world than Spencer, because you know everyone in the UFC, inside and out, we're going to talk about all every bit of all of that. But before we get into it, we have to tell you that this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped, and it's it's almost Christmas time, it's almost the New Year time, and you know there's never a better time. Never. Never, never, never a, a better time than to head on over to Manscaped with the promo code SEVERE MMA and get 20% off and free shipping. They have loads of shower products now. They have loads of shaving products. Everything you'd always want for Christmas, you can get over at Manscaped. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is a one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. has been everything you need to help deck your balls Take your hauls, even, from head to balls, just in time for the mistletoe season, or even a little bit after it. The the Package is each product from the best-selling performance package, plus it has the Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner, which I absolutely love, Ultra Premium deodorant as well. It's the best way to smell fresh all day and all year. The Lawn Mower 4.0 Body Trimmer and the Weed Wacker nose, nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. I always fuck that up, every single week. Um... They feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate presence. They're also waterproof. They have the 4000K LED light, so you can throw them under the tap or you can, uh, you can shine your, your whole way. Um, once you've all that done... Then you have the shower products, which are sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. But smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. Crap crop preserver, ball deodorant, crap preserver, ball toner can solve stank problems all day long. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. Planning package 4.0, seeing under trees, is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit and for the perfect stocking stuff or even post-Christmas. I know the people are going to be doing a bit of dry January if they're going out for dinner maybe with the missus or meeting the friends for a table quiz or something. That body buffer, it's the right job. Get lovely and scrubbed up there. It's better than any loofah. So got 20% off and free shipping with the code severemmmanskept.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manskept.com and use the code severemmmanskept. Get your balls ready for the new year. Right, Spencer, let's talk about it. We're we're starting at heavyweight, Spencer. We're starting at heavyweight because I just recorded a bit of the Q&A there, right? And... People are asking me, what are your top three most anticipated fights for the next year? What do you want to see out of the UFC? Who do you want to see? And there's nothing I want to see more than Francis Ngannou back. There's nothing more I want to see than Jon Jones moving up the heavyweight. There's nothing I want to see more than either of those two guys fighting each other or Cyril Gagne fighting either of, or both of those two guys. Nothing excites me more than that. We have some great fights. We'll get to them with, with you know, the featherweight champion fighting the lightweight champion and the rematch at middleweight probably in a rematch at light uh, welterweight. and know uh, plenty more, but God almighty, heavyweight in the top of that division. It feels, uh, do you know what, as well, it feels like we did this exact podcast at the exact same
1: time last year. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> said, we did this last question. year and we were like, what's the most exciting for this year? And it's, okay, well, we've got Anganu and and Cyril Gan to start the year last year, this year, right? UFC 270, interim title, undisputed title, champion versus champion. It's going to be the start of, of a great year at heavyweight. And then it turns out that Francis Nganu had a blown knee and needed knee surgery and had an impasse con- contractually with the UFC. And we were like, okay, but John Jones can come back and Stipe is there and we'll get this all sorted out. And then when Nganu's figured out, we'll be back and in the mix and it'll be great. And 12 months later, here's Sean and I talking about the same damn (laughs) thing. I can't believe you don't have that as one of your, (laughs) I I, I, I used to (laughs) you need to get, you need to get the sad trombone on the, on the, on the stream deck. I mean, it's, it's the thing we're, I mean, by the time this comes out, I think we'll have recorded and, and released our year end takeaways and we're doing sort of a year wrap. And the first thing is just, we went another year without John Jones. Like it's getting to a point and maybe I'm alone in this thought, but it's getting to a point for me where it feels like this guy's just burning years. And I get all of it. I understand contractually and wanting to make sure you're paid what you're worth. And the opportunity is, is the right thing. All of that makes perfect sense to me, but from a, Legacy standpoint, from a fan standpoint of wanting to see this man compete and test himself again. If the argument was that you weren't being tested and you couldn't find the motivation for those last few fights, certainly going to heavyweight will do that, I would think. And then we get to see you again. Like right now, you're sitting on a bunch of bad performances, not bad performances, but like probably should have lost to Dominic Reyes nearly lost to Tiago Santos. And then there was the Anthony Smith fight where if Anthony Smith just continues to take a knee, John Jones, isn't the champ. So like the last three have all been not great. And now we've gone two and a half years, almost three years since we've seen him. And so it just burns those valuable years from his prime. Now going to heavyweight, certainly you can compete till later in your thirties into your early forties, as we've seen with some people, but it's, Every year that goes by, every every couple of months that go by where it's no John Jones fight officially announced, like I'm at the point of, I don't care when people tell me that it's close and they're working on. I want to see the poster officially. I want to see it pop up on UFC.com that this is happening. And then I will believe it because right now it's just, it's just disappointing. And these are certainly the biggest fights for for 2023 is getting Ngannou back, getting Jones in there, getting Stipe in there, getting Cyril Ghosn against one of or multiple of those men, getting Sergey Pavlovich in there. Like, heavyweight actually has some options right now and has some intrigue, but we need the big players back. We do. And there it does, but it doesn't at the same time
0: have that intrigue because it feels like it's on pause. You know, we felt this for we feel it. It feels like at featherweight, we feel it all the time, and have been for for years for some reason. But heavyweight just feels that way now. And it's look, we can't blame, I suppose, Jones for that more. We can kind of blame Inganu because, you know, I'm sure he, you know he was injured and he had the injury for a long time. But like, he's probably been back for that for a while, and he's holding out for whatever he's holding out for. I'm not sure what way I see it playing out, to be honest. Like, I do genuinely think that John Jones would have fought in November or December this year, if Francis or Stipe would have fought him. And I I think it's another case of the UFC not wanting to put John Jones in there with Curtis Blades or not wanting to put him in there with Pavlovich or whoever it might be. Like McGregor, when he he wanted to come back and they refused to put him in there against, you know, oh Diego Sanchez was one of the names, but the RDA was another one of the names, I think, and they refused to do it. I think it's one of those cases. And that has led to like just this... Pausing, I'll say it again, of the heavyweight division, and it's very, very unfortunate. Um, I get the sense again that John Jones wants to fight, and I get the sense that Stipe and Francis are in absolutely no rush to fight, and I don't know where that's going to go. Like, Francis doesn't have long, does he, until his contract situation has gone a year, and I know John Nash has written about that and things, and that he'll have more options then. I wonder, will he wait? Um... I don't know what's going to happen. I, have you any sense? Have you any sense of what's gonna happen?
1: I don't. And I think you're right that john John wants to fight, right? We see him posting all the training camp and that he's waiting. and And again, I understand both sides of that. I understand the UFC not wanting to bring him back against Curtis Blades. It's no disrespect to Curtis Blades. It's not a big enough fight. It's just not like as great as it would be as a hey, look, John Jones is on John Jones isn't fighting on ESPN or ABC, John Jones's heavyweight debut is going to have a belt attached. It is going to be on pay-per-view. It is going to be the main event. Now, whether that's an interim title against Stipe Miocic or the undisputed title against Francis Ngannou, I think that's what both John and the UFC are likely holding out for. The trouble is, as you said, we have no idea. The Ngannou situation is what it is. I'm sure all parties are trying to find a reasonable and agreeable solution. The one that really is, is curious to me is Stipe. Like he feels more than, more than either John or Nganu as the shit or get off the pot. Like you're fighting or you're not. I understand. You think I had to fight DC three times. We had to do that. Why, why isn't that the case with Nganu? It just isn't man. It's just not. And I know, and again, I am always, and and you as well, I know, are always going to advocate for these athletes getting the absolute most that they can and valuing themselves to the maximum. But the reality of that is you reach a point where the other side says, yeah, it's not worth it. And so you can price yourself out of things. And it feels a little bit like that's maybe what Stipe Miocic is doing. He is. But I think you hit the nail on the head when we
0: were talking a few weeks ago and you said about like, oh, yeah, Stipe might take this fight, but he also might be retired, which is like the perfect position to put yourself in if you're a UFC fighter at his uh, age, at his stage of his career and in his position. You're like, right, I'll either retire one, or two, I will take a massive fight for the belt that will get me another massive fight for the belt if I win it, and I'll earn a shit of money. Or three, I lose that fight, I've got one more big payday, and I'll retire anyway. That, like he, he's in. The but barf- if that's the case, there. take
1: the John Jones fight. Y- that's true. Like if that if yeah. that's the case, if that's and and I agree, like that is sound logic. So. Rather than it feels like that off, it feels like that deal has been on the table. We don't know. Neither of us have are privy to what has been, you know, what contracts have been sent and what ideas have been floated out to different management teams and things like that. My guess would be that that deal has been on the table and thus far they haven't found a number that is agreeable to all parties. Fine. I understand it. But you could put yourself in a position where it goes away and you're the you're the man left out in the cold. Like if Francis Ngannou comes back, if that gets resolved, John Jones is fighting that man. And then you're Stipe standing there going, the fuck do I do? So you either come back and don't fight for a belt or you just retire and you missed out on that payday that you thought you were going to guarantee yourself. 100%.
0: 100%. And then you have Cyril Gagne there as well, who's probably going to be in front of you, you know? Right. Very interesting.
1: It's a very, That's what I mean. Like, take the John Jones fight, or mm-hmm. you're going to have to get through one of these monsters that just may beat you. Yeah, I, I, retirement
0: might be the, <laughs> might be the best. Good. But yeah, it's, I feel like he let maybe left it too long, and now they're looking yeah. for Jones versus Francis. But look, we could yeah. talk about this for, for two hours, I suppose. You mentioned Pavlovich share a minute ago. Obviously, Cyril Gagne is like... In my opinion, Sir Gagne, I know he lost to Francis in a very close fight. I still think he's the best heavyweight in the world. And uh, that's, that's, that's one I'm willing to, a hill I'm willing to die on. I think he'll prove that over the next year. I, I, him versus John Young is my dream. That You know, other people, it might be Francis versus John, but that to me, technically big guys. I love that fight. Um, who are those guys in the top 15 right now? And we'll look beyond the top 15 in a second. But guys, you're excited about... like Also, and we'll maybe talk about this as we get through it. I feel like there's never been a time that hardcore MMA fans have known less about ranked fighters than they do now, if you get me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes. me, me included. Me included. Now, you're different yes. because it's your job to, to do that. But... It feels like even like a guy like Pavlovich, I was like, oh, he put on a good performance, you know, there a couple of weeks ago. And I looked at the rankings. he's number three. I'm like, how did he get there? Yeah.
1: How did he get it's, there? <laughs> it's another one of the topics that will be discussed on The Severe Takeaways with myself, Harry and Ian O'Neill as a wrap up show of we've never had fewer stars despite having such an abundance of talent. Right. Like Sergey Pavlovich is a perfect example. This man is a monster. Like if you, if this was 10 years ago, 12 years ago in the UFC, we'd all be falling over ourselves for this guy because he's gigantic. He hits like a ton of bricks. He's on a five or six fight winning streak. He's murking guys in the first round in, in seconds, not minutes. And yet he's kind of just this, like, as you said, he's on a good run. Holy shit. He's number three. It just feels like some of these guys are, are slipping between the cracks because we're, we're not getting the showcase opportunities that we used to get for some of these, these athletes in terms of fight night events, in terms of main event or co-main events that are carrying weight and carrying interest. It feels like there's more of a disconnect between fans and the athletes than there ever has been. Which is weird because everybody seems to be watching the fights. Still, they just are like watching them and hating them and not happy about them. And then I think suddenly Sergey Pavlovich is number three, and people are like, "Where did yeah. this guy come from?"
0: I think people are, are kind of like background watching the fights to a lot too, and just yeah. waiting for the big fights to come.
1: Which yeah, and look, we we all have second screens. We're all engaging in Twitter and and things like that, right? And we see that in other sports. I'm sure it's the same over there with Premier League and for you for for hurling
0: no for me no, no you just straight hurling and that's it fuck off with twitter. Yes,
1: yes i mean nba here is right like part of the enjoyment of watching an nba game is just having your twitter up and watching nba twitter with all the memes and all the jokes and all the everything and i feel like that is taking some of the attention away from athletes but you asked who who stands out i mean pavlovich obviously is a let's continue to see where this guy's ceiling rests. I can't wait to see Cyril gone back. I, I will join you on the island of he's the best heavyweight in the world. I know he lost to Francis Ngannou. Give that dude a chance to to regroup. He'll, he will be just fine. I mean, I can't wait to see Tom Aspinall back. He looked great in March. What happened in, in July is unfortunate. I was really, really interested in that fight with Curtis Blades. And then outside of the top fifteen, there's a couple other guys, but but we'll get to them in a minute.
0: Who are they? Going? I, I'm looking at the Zan Simons here. A shout out to, to Zan Simons, and like Gileson Almeida is, is one that sticks out to that, me. Yeah, that's that's. Will the he guy be guy. at heavyweight? Will he
1: be at light heavyweight? It's hard to know. It's, uh, and and that's part of the intrigue, right? I think he is. I think he's happy being a tweener right now, being a guy that fights at about 225, and is like, cool. I'll beat these guys that I can. So, right now, it's been I'll beat these guys that I can out athlete. And eventually, he's going to have to decide do I want to commit to heavyweight and try to really fight these top 15 guys or even top 10 guys? Because he's matched up against the top 15 guy next time out that he should trounce. And he'll have to make that decision. Either division, I'm happy to see him. Either division, I'm excited. He's sort of the only one. I mean, I'm always going to be a little bit curious in, in some of these guys that are putting up a couple of wins just at the very bottom of the division just to see if anything becomes of it. Like, does Waldo Acosta-Cortez or Cortez-Acosta? I don't think so. Yeah. But just as you said, right? Like, I'm the guy that watches everything. And so I'll put a little asterisk next to his name and watch the next one and be like, yeah, it really isn't coming together, is it?
0: I think... um Hamdi Abdullawa, he didn't look amazing in that first fight, but he's only a few fights into his career. And he's yep. a guy that maybe you could be looking at in a few years. Maybe not the biggest for the division either, either but a big heavy guy and looks good. So yep.
1: maybe Martin maybe. Boudet as well, like yeah, just okay a giant human being. Mm-hmm. Hasn't looked great thus far in the UFC, but very early in his career, get him a couple more fights, a little more experience, and, and we'll see where he gets to. There's the last thing
0: on heavyweight. There's very few fights actually made for heavyweight at the moment. Like, we have uh, Jolten versus shit, my guy Shami coming up, uh, at uh, Jesus, whatever it is, UFC two <laughs> eight three. a And then, other than that, there's like the, the Zins list is a bit uh, a bit behind here, but like, there's so the Spivak fight against Lewis that was supposed to happen a few weeks ago, that'll be happening uh, in the it's new the year as North, well. Yeah. And then, I think that's that's it. That's, that's every, about it. Everything well, about yeah. Justin a reporter So we, we should see a lot of heavyweight fights because we know main events are going to be heavyweight fights into the next year. And I think when the top of the division gets going in, if it gets going, then the rest of it will. Let's move to light heavyweight. Um, And we won't, we won't go weight class by weight class. We might move on after this, but we have to. I feel like that's the most exciting division for next year if it, it clicks in. Light heavyweight is, I feel like, the last month of... 2022 has been the division that everyone has been talking about just because of all the madness. Now, everyone knows I like a bit of madness <laughs> here and there. A, I, a bit. I mean, and I, you know, I was, I was brought up, uh, I suppose, covering the sport of, uh, you know, um, I suppose worldwide anyway, in the in the Conor McGregor era, and it's uh, I live in the chaos. I'm like fucking uh, Bane from uh, Superman or something. And this chaos, uh, like everywhere, was just so fun. Like in the space of ten days, there was five different lads booked to fight <laughs> for the same title. And I, I thought it was six, but Glover share was booked for the twice, so it was five. But did, do you like that, Chaos? Or are you just like, I can't believe they're running this like they just hit a fucking iceberg and there's another lad with a pickaxe in the back making <laughs> holes in the bottom of the boat?
1: So I was perfectly fine with Prohoshka vacating because he's got a very serious injury that's going yeah. to leave him on the sidelines throughout 2023 from the sounds of it, right? That's That feels like what is being communicated is that he's going to be out for... A full year, at least, if not more. So that was fine to me. And and doing, Vahovic versus Ankalaev, made sense. I understood they went to Glover first. He was like, Nah, man, I'm not fighting that dude on on short notice. Fine. It's not ideal. I would have rather have seen Glover continue to be in a fight because, like, how do you how do you go from being in the fight to not being in the fight is kind of a weird look. And then pivoting right away after the draw to to Glover and your boy, Jamal Hill. Look, if we're just if we're just trying to figure this out, sure. Let's just, I'm the same as you. You want to give me a bit of chaos? It's fine. I'm okay with it. I don't care that Jamal Hill is number seven in the division, in the rankings, whatever it is. He's looked great. Give him a shot. I don't need to see him. This is what I talk about and what you and I talk about pretty regularly. I don't need to see him beat Anthony Smith. Because I can tell you what would have happened in that fight. He'd have beaten Anthony Smith. God love you, Anthony Smith. And I'm sorry that you found out that you got bumped on live television because that was fucking awkward. But he'd have beaten you. And then he'd have called for a title shot. So we're just skipping over the middleman. And I'm fine with it. It's weird that it's a month notice. And let's just throw it in there. And all of a sudden, it's the main event over the flyweight title fight. Like, Jesus. But... I'm, I'm all for some chaos. Let's go. I think the fact it's such a great fight as well,
0: it makes it even better. And like two very, very good fighters who I, I really, really like. I remember, you know, we, we did this New Year's resolution. I think it was in maybe 2021, possibly, or maybe even earlier. And I remember saying, as long as you give me good fights, I'm going to be happy. Fuck the belts, fuck the rankings and all of that. Give me a good fight and I'll be happy and i i try to keep that in my head a lot of the time and when when it comes to this sort of stuff you know with the in- interim titles and the rankings and all this and i do you know what i really like that fight i really really like it so i'm not going to complain about it too much
1: yeah it's it's the right test for for jamal hill like you've been the advocate for jamal hill from the get go this is this is the litmus test and it doesn't mean that if he loses he can't get to that level whatever but this is the experienced guy This is the gritty guy. This is the guy that can take a shot and come back. He can wrestle. He can grapple. He can punch you in the face. Like, this is perfect. I can't wait for this.
0: And do you know another thing that this does, right? It really opens up the division because if you look at the rankings now, number one, Yuri Brachka is out at the moment. Deshera is about to fight for the title. Ankelaev just fought for the title. Blachowicz just fought for the title. And number seven, Jamal Hill is just about to fight for the title. So of the top 10, there's only four guys who haven't, like, had a title shot in within the space of a month. So, like, for if you're Rakic and you're coming back from injury, or even if you are Anthony Smith, let's say they match the two with him up or something, or, you know, Krilov against Rakic or Krilov, whatever it might be, all of those lads have a, ma- or, sorry, there's five people, all those lads have a massive opportunity to win one fight and get themselves into a title shot. And the same, even maybe Frank Alive and, and Blachowicz can get back in there and win one. So... That to me, it's very, it makes the division very, very interesting. And interesting in such a way that you know Graham's word, Jeopardy, it gives all of those fights if they are made Jeopardy. Every single one of them. And that's exactly what we want in a division that is actually, you know, it's pretty, there's a lot of pretty exciting fighters or fighters you want to watch. Like you've, I know you've a soft Frank Goliath, as does Harry. Everyone loves Prohachka. Everyone loves Glover Teixeira. You know... Alexander Rakic is my best friend on Twitter.
1: It's absolutely great. I love Jamal Hill. It's, you know, that division to me. It, 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 you know well, and, and, and there's it. guys that are like Johnny Walker is trying to rehabilitate himself, right? Got Ireland's a good own. win last time out. He's got the fight with Paul Craig coming up. You win that, you're back in the top 10. And then as you said, you're a winner too. Like you beat Paul Craig, you jump on the mic and you say, Anthony Smith, I hear you need a dance partner. Let's go. And you try to beat that top five guy, and away you go. our Paul well, Kray, Alexander Rakic. When you're coming back, either one of those guys wins that. Yeah. You just move yourself forward. Let's say Jamal is going to be in the same place. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Ryan Spann has got a fight coming up. I think he's fighting Krilov. You win that, start calling it like. Then you then you take aim at one of those guys in the top five that doesn't have a dance partner. And then you're there, and then all of a sudden, it's not the glory days by any stretch. It's not the golden era of 205 when we had Rampage and Rashad and Forrest and Vanderlay and the tail end of Chuck and all of those things. But at least it's exciting again. At least it's interesting again. And there's people coming up and people that have been hanging around that are now getting their shot and sort of figuring it out a little more like the Ryan Spans. I think we see Paul Craig at least rebound to where we don't think it's ah uh, he can't do this. It just—I'm telling you—if if he
0: beats Johnny Walker and Jamal Hill wins yep. the title, he just broke Jamal's Jamal Hill's arm off of his body a few months ago. Like I was probably two years ago at this stage, but wasn't that long ago? I, I'd be ca- yeah. If eight, you're Paul Eighteen Craig, months ago.
1: Eighteen months ago, left yeah. him laying there with a flopping around arm. Call him out, Paul Craig Champion
0: Twenty Twenty Three. Let's make let's <laughs> let's make it happen. We've, we've pretty much gone through the, the whole top 15 there Some of the up-and-comers in that division It's interesting because a lot of people in that division Like Yuri Barajka is, is three, what, three and all You know, he's only had three fights Jamal Hill has only had seven fights There's a lot of the guys right there towards the very top who's only, Who have only had uh, a few fights uh, Someone asked me about Actually, i went through some of it uh, Do you know what? Carlos um, Oldbrook is a guy who I like I, I didn't, yep. he lost one fight didn't look great in it, but he's come back has done well uh, Amazat um, Murzahanov is 2-0 and in the division there aren't a lot of guys with great records in that division on the way up um, anyone stand out for you as the guy you think maybe he could kick on and get into the, the rankings in this year
1: I mean Alberg is certainly right up there he looked really good against Nick Negomarianu last time out we saw the development we saw greater patience greater understanding of using his reach his length his power all the things that make him dangerous. I'm always going to have a soft spot for Tyson Pedro. I think he's just a fellow that enjoys himself and loves life. And it's fun to watch like win or lose. It's entertaining. He got handed a couple of here. You're, you're back after several years away. Have yourself some victories this year. He'll get a, he'll get a Sterner test at some point next year. He's booked for UFC 284 in Perth. That should be a win against, Jan Minyang, who won on the road to UFC shows uh, in the summer in Singapore. And then beyond that, like it's, as you said, Mirza Khanov is, is a little bit older, but still undefeated for his career. And so certainly worth watching. Um, and then you just look at guys like Jamal Pogues, who has fought at heavyweight. He's fought at light heavyweight. He's fought at middleweight early in his career. Always sort of showed some some potential on the way up. Has had some personal issues, some familial challenges, but is now in the UFC and is a guy that, you know, is one of those one of those competitors that if he could ever get it right and ever sort it all out, the upside is there for him to be somebody that can have maybe not championship, certainly not championship upside, but into that lower third of the top fifteen upside.
0: Let's talk about women's MMA, uh, and I feel like we had a very chaotic. 18-month period with people we didn't expect winning titles, people we didn't expect putting on unbelievable displays and almost winning titles. And we, in 2022, with three champions, Amanda Nunes, Valentina Shevchenko, and Zhang (laughs) Weili. Okay, we've Very very (laughs) familiar names. (laughs) Very familiar names. Back at the very, very top of it. But all of them, like... As, as uh, 115, there's always going to be a bit of chaos there because the division is so good. But it feels like the other two, they've never been less guaranteed of destruction, I think, than they are right now. Shevchenko, okay, she maybe she had an off night, but Amanda Nunes did not look good in the second fight against Pena and got destroyed in the first fight against Pena. Right. First question I want to ask you is about Amanda Nunes, and then I'll ask you about 145 in that division. What's your sense of Nunes? Like, is she finished? That division,
1: he says, (laughs) as if it's a division.
0: (laughs) Is Nunes finished, or did she just... She have an off night, and then kind of needed to mentally get through the last fight, and she'd be back to normal next time? Or will she... Will it be big issues again next time?
1: So the one thing that works in Amanda Nunes' favour is that there's not a lot at 35 either. Like just made the joke about 45 not being a division. It's not like there's a lot of fresh talent at 35 that's going to challenge her either, right? Number one contender, Juliana Pena. Number two, Ketlin Vieira. Okay, maybe. She's big, she's strong. Sure, but it's an ugly fight. Holly Holm already dispatched her. Irina Aldana, if she can can get one more win and get in there, maybe. Already beat Rocky Pennington. Don't think she has any trouble with anybody below that. Like, there's just... There's just nobody for her, really. And so I think we're seeing her at the point that John Jones said he was at. of it's hard for me to get excited about this. They've she and Nina have had their daughter, Reagan Ann, who is growing. They want to have more of a family. Like I think she is at the point of I have a couple more fights. I think the Kayla Harrison fight not coming together, Kayla not coming to the UFC, yes, probably takes a bunch of of steam and a bunch of excitement out of Amanda Nunez. Like she knew. And she out of Kayla knew. too. <laughs> and it's out like of Kayla too, up. as we saw. She knew she was going to beat Juliana Pena in the rematch. I think we all did. Like Julia, Amanda fought a terrible fight the first time around and and paid for it. It happened. She-, she went back to old Amanda and got beat. She came out, she did what she needed to do in the rematch to get her belt back and be a double champ again and all of those things. Great continues to have beaten everybody that has ever carried gold in that division it's a ridiculous achievement that i will continue to talk about every time she fights but i think she's just at that point where there's no more challenges and so kayla was interesting right we go up to 45 i don't have to worry about weight cutting as much she brings a whole different skill set she brings a bunch of excitement a bunch of energy and it didn't happen and so the fact that we're the fact that we're Towards the end of the year and we we don't have any idea when Amanda Nunez is coming back or what's next. Yeah. Kind of leads me towards maybe we get one in the summer and that's it.
0: Who who do you think that's gonna be? Like there's no standout name to me there. I mean
1: it depends. So you know Juliana Pena is gonna be advocating for okay, I've got one, she's got one, let's do it a third time. Fine. I don't really like I don't really need to see it, but fine. As I said, if Ketlin Vieira can go out and get maybe one more good win, if they want to do that right away, I'm okay with that. I know there's been talk of Holly Holman and Yana Kunitskaya as a fight. I don't really need to see the winner of that fighting Amanda Nunes, but you know, if if it's to get Nunes one more fight and one more victory, then great. So Ketlin Vieira is set to fight Raquel Pennington in early January I think the winner of that is if Ketlin Vieira wins that, she's probably in line just because we've already seen Amanda Nunes beat the next couple people in line. And so if that's a fight you want to do during International Fight Week or the second pay-per-view of July that there usually is somewhere in that range, June, whatever, sure. And then, like I said, I just it just feels to me like we may be at the the last year of Amanda Nunes.
0: I, I like the Aldana fight, if that was possible to put it on. I don't know about records and everything like that and how she's getting on, but I just like that fight. But, yeah, if it, it just feels like Amanda Nunes. And, you know, that just that division in general, like the 145-pounders the that don't always fight at 145-pounders, it feels a bit like boxing. You've Kel Harrison in the fucking IBF. You have Amanda Nunes in the WBA and you have Chris Cyborg in the WBO. And, and then, they're talking shit on Twitter and never yeah, going to fight. And they're all fighting fucking Derek Chisora every week. Like, it's just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> See, that's what it is. And the, the weird thing about it, like, those three fighters, they fought once and it was one of my favorite fights of all time. That fucking Cyborg versus Amanda Nunes yep. fight. I during the fight Amazing. I don't think I love more than that fight. And it's, 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 sickening really that we don't see that as as people old school MMA fans. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Any up and comers in that division, Spencer, you see at obviously 135, 145 doesn't really exist. Like Carol Rosa, she won five and one in the division. Anyone you see?
1: Leah Lettson? I mean not I mean not really. Like sadly, this is this is the other part of it, right? There just isn't any emerging, intriguing, like I don't know if, if there just aren't female bantamweights out there or if they're signed elsewhere. Certainly there's some in Invicta. In like if the UFC side signed Tanisha Tennant, who is the champion in Invicta right now, interesting. Carol Hosa, I mean, we saw her lose to, to Sarah McMahon in this past year. And we know Sarah the ceiling like of Sarah, Sarah McMahon. Sarah McMahon's okay, but Sarah McMahon is going to find a way to get stuck in a submission at some point. Right. She's going to make some mistake. She's going to be exhausted by round three because she wrestles for 10 minutes. And like, look, I understand it. I've never been in there and I couldn't wrestle for 10 seconds, yet alone 10 minutes. But there just isn't anybody, right? Like Chelsea Chandler looked okay in her debut, but like she's, I mean, eight, nine, 10 away away from, from being somebody that I'm genuinely interested in because it didn't look great. And so... The UFC needs to either find some people or somebody needs to go on a run. Like Julia Avila will come back at some point. She and her husband just had a baby very recently. Congratulations to them. She will come back. She's always been interesting to me. The random But me she's also stumbled a couple of times.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, just a yes or no answer on this one. Will the 145 pound division be there this time next year? No. If Amanda Nunes is gone, no. Yeah, could be. 125, let's talk about that. Valentina Shashenko obviously had that very close fight with uh, with Talia Santos um, not too long ago and ended up winning it. But like the second after that fight happened, I was like, do that fight again. You know, you need a bit of intrigue. You need someone for Valentina Shashenko. She might go out and win it. She might go out and destroy her, all well and good. But if she doesn't, you are, uh, you're looking at a big trilogy, then, or you're looking at something exciting. I think that fight made a ton of sense to put it on again. But it feels like, like you know, what twenty twenty feels like is or twenty twenty two. It feels like the year the champions just kind of sat out a lot of the year, you know. Yeah, and I give credit to Adesanya for not doing that. He's probably one of the, one of the only ones, maybe. But it's uh, that division, especially. It's just been very kind of. Wait and see what happens, and not like Mano us, put herself up there right towards the top. Obviously, Santos is there. The division is, you know, there's some very good fighters. A lot of people have emerged. Look at Aaron Blanchfield, looks good. I've been massively impressed with Tracy Cortez's improvements over the last couple of years. Casey O'Neill looks really good. I like Viviane Rouge, even though, you know, she hasn't gone great lately. But uh, it's just, is, is Shevchenko, like, could Shevchenko lose next year?
1: Yeah, certainly. She almost lost to, to Tyler Santos in Singapore. Oh, we haven't seen her since. As, as a man said, nearly never pulled a cow. <laughs> <laughs> and close, the only and, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. I mean, I, I think the same thing as you with, with these champions. She is on my list of people that I would really like to talk to in the next couple of weeks to find out. Like, we haven't heard anything, right? This is, and look, it's going to be a theme forever when we talk especially about these championship athletes if this is a money thing if this is a contract thing if this is a i just need some time after being really active and fighting twice a year at least for the last five years fine if this is an injury thing that wasn't disclosed that she needed to just take some time great but we haven't heard anything and here we are she fought in june it's the end of december or late december i should say and there's been no, like she talked to the world MMA award and listed off five or six people that were possible opponents. Great sign to fight. One of them just get this done. Get us back in here. Cause the, the thing that I'm, I'm scared about for this division is that we're going to hit that bottleneck and we're going to hit that log jam where the contenders start cannibalizing each other. And I don't need this to turn into middleweight or welterweight or featherweight or every other division where this happens because there's so much good young talent. There's so much established talent. Like let's just get things moving again. And that all starts same as always at the absolute top. We need active champions to keep everything moving. So get her back in the octagon.
0: I'm just looking at the rankings here. Number 10, Aaron Blanchfield. Number 11, Casey O'Neill let's say that fight happens and maybe that's exactly what you're talking about there. Who, who wins that fight?
1: I would pick Blanchfield just because Casey's been on the sidelines for a year. Yeah. Just because she's been dealing with a knee. And stylistically, I think they're fairly similar. I think Casey's a little bit better of a striker, but I think Aaron's a little bit better of a grappler. But like, keep those two away from each other for three years. They're 23. Like, yeah. keep them on parallel paths going towards the top. And have them face the Andrea Lees, the Jennifer Mayas, the Viviana Ujos, the Lauren Murphys. That's a the major Caitlin problem. Though, isn't like it? that's what we need to be doing. Test them understand. against the veterans yeah. rather than pitting them against each other. Because let them all go forward. It's like the the Tracy Cortez Amanda hibas fight. Love the fight to get an answer about to get answers about each of them. Hate it because I want to see both of them move forward.
0: At some point, though, someone, especially that lower down in the division, someone, and the thing about this is as well, right, we we did the Speaker's Corner months ago, Now myself, herself, and Harry, uh, talking about matchmaking and talking about making, not just matchmaking the fighters, not just matchmaking the divisions, but setting out the divisions over three years, as you just said. And it feels right. like the UFC don't have that. They're like, they look at the rankings. They'll probably do what I just did there. See Aaron Blackfield yes. and Casey you at 10-11 and match them up. The way Who's within two spots of each other? Yeah. And I don't think that's good for him and exactly creates what you were just talking about there a second ago a bottleneck around the division. The thing about that division as well, I think we've talked about all the up and comers in it because there's so many good ones in the rankings already because the division is newer, obviously, than the other ones. And, uh, you know, the, those people were able to grow. As the division grow grew, and now like the the, the young up and comers are actually like, you know, part of the the, the top fifteen. So it's very very interesting. Um, let's move on and talk about uh, one fifteen. Another division that uh, this is a bottleneck, but for the exact opposite reason of of the other divisions it's because the champions probably fight so often and fight each other so often and you know you look at, at, at a lot of the top 10 have been champions or have fought for the title before um after that though the problem is like you you guess to say like 9 10 11 you have Hebas, you have De Oba you have Michelle Waterson Gomez you have Angela Hill None of them are ever going to fight for a title. I don't think. Maybe, maybe, maybe he best, but I don't. I don't think so. Even maybe T-Shitara, as You could throw it above that to to another one, and you look at that division and say maybe it's not as strong in totality as some of the other divisions are as it has been before, and it could turn into a lightweight thing where it's just the same three or four people fighting each other over and over and over again. How? First of all, Spencer, do you think that'll happen? And how do we stop that?
1: I think the top eight names in that division are going to just continue to fight each other for the next like three years. And so that's the champion, Zhang Whaley, Carlos Barza, Rose Yunis, Amanda Lemos, Jessica Andrade, Marina Rodriguez, Yan John and Mackenzie Dern. Those eight people, you could put them in a little tournament bracket and just ideally that's what I would do. Like, right. Take those eight names. Scott Coker would do it. Set them out. Scott Coker would do it. Have the title defended every time, right? And so the first fight is is Zhang Weili versus Mackenzie Dern, one versus eight, in terms of seeding, and we just play our way through. Be really entertaining. I'd love to see Jessica Andrade and Marina Rodriguez, Amanda Lemos and Jan Jonon. It would be it would be a way to solve it, and to keep things moving forward and keeping people engaged, because I think you're right. Beyond Mackenzie Dern, so Tisha Torres. She and Raquel Pennington are pregnant. Tisha's out for a while as she grows a child inside of her and then gives birth. Shouts to them, congratulations. And then, you know, beyond that, I think Heboss is fighting it at flyweight. I think she's made that move. Brenna Jandiroba is, is very good, but not that upper echelon level. Michelle Gomez, Michelle Waterson Gomez, it hasn't happened, isn't going to happen. She's 36, 37. Angie Hill is perfect where she is. And beyond that, maybe Luana Pinheiro and Emily Decody develop a little bit and get a little further ahead at some point. But that upper tier is just so far ahead of everybody else that let's just, let's just do it. Just steal, steal from Scott Coker. Do the tournament. Mm -hmm. Even if you, even if you don't really specify it, even if you don't say officially, this is a tournament, find some way to book that through. Now, some of that is incumbent on Rose Namajunas returning and fighting um what about, maybe you need uh, one or maybe you need one or two more people to come up oh, along the way i have one yeah tatiana Suarez. yes that's exactly and she was. oh god yes she's apparently coming back isn't she she's apparently coming back i i won't be surprised if she comes back at flyweight really that's interesting that, that would be my guess yeah She's 31 now. And look, mm-hmm. like she's 31 today. We are recording this on Tatiana Suarez's birthday. Happy birthday, happy Tatiana. Birthday. Happy, birthday, happy birthday, Tatiana. She was expected to come back in a flyweight fight last September against Roxanne Matafari. And so I think that's probably where she comes back, makes that division even like adds to what we were saying about that division. Like, Jesus, yeah. that's even better. On. But yeah, she's, she's if she's fighting at, at 115, Good Lord, get her in there right now with, with somebody in that top eight. And let's just see what happens. Because she was my pick years ago. Oh, she was everyone's pick. She was unbelievable. She wins, she wins the title. Nobody yeah. stops this wrestling. She goes through everybody and just smashes. The win over Carla Sparza was one of those ones that if you didn't sit up and go, oh, okay, this is, this is serious, you weren't paying attention. Carla Sparza
0: crawled so Bo Nickel could run, basically. <laughs> That's what happened there. Spencer, let me ask you one question. What country are you in right now? I'm in Canada, good sir. Do you know what? I absolutely love visiting Canada, and I do it all the time when Bellator is on. I do it sometimes when PFL is on and all of that. And uh, I think a lot of MMA fans have to do that an awful lot because they get very frustrated, you know, and especially in my part of the world there, because they can't watch MMA. It isn't televised, it's not available in their country And you know what, with NordVPN You can go to Canada, you can fly over It's a lot cheaper than flights And you can change your virtual location that the country is showing Bellator or PFL or whatever it is uh, That you want to watch And you can watch it live and it's absolutely brilliant Along with that as well You know we have a big issue at the moment with um, Cybercrime and all of that And with NordVPN It's at the absolute one stop shop for cybersecurity. It's incredibly easy to use. Just one click and you're protected. You don't have to be a tech genius like myself and Spencer are to use it. Uh, with your NordVPN account, you can have up to six devices as well protected. And you no longer have to worry about hackers, malicious sites, uh, and pop-ups for the price of a coffee a month. You have complete peace of mind knowing that your devices are all protected. You can also get Canadian Netflix, or you can get American Netflix and all of that watch uh, more stuff you can uh, I, I believe if you go to Mexico as well with your VPN sign up for Netflix it's even cheaper so absolutely brilliant it'll save you money and uh, the, it, it'll pay for itself pay for itself basically flights as well really really good so absolutely fantastic it's the price of a cup of coffee every month a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to a vast amount of entertaining content from all over the world so grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash severe MMA to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four months for free. It's extremely brilliant. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day uh, money-back guarantee. So do that. NordVPN.com forward slash severe MMA. Try it risk-free now with an 30-day money-back guarantee. NordVPN.com forward slash Severe MMA. For some reason, I can't say the word forward slash. I, I sound like I I'm, I'm something in my mouth or something. When I'm saying it. I maybe I should just say slash forward slash. Can't say it anyway. Let's move on and let's talk about flyweight Spencer. Uh, obviously, we have the quadrology coming up here between Davidson Figueiredo and your boy Brandon uh, Moreno. Very very shortly in the first pay per view of the year. We had a few flyweights fighting the other day. We had Amir al-Bazi. We had uh, Manel Cape Ka- 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 or whatever the fuck you, you, you call him. And I don't think we, we've ever had a time where flyweight has been such fun. We have some, like, Mohammed Makayev on the way up. We have, you know, Kai Kara Franz. Okay, he lost for the, the interim title, but he's knocking lads out all over the place. Pantoja's fun. Rival is fun. I, lo- I always love watching Matt Schnell win or lose. Albazi is, as I said, he fought at the weekend. Suma Dajari and all that as well. And Tim Elliott's still inside in the middle of it. Fly never die, Spencer. Fly never die. It's an exciting division, and I'm, I'm looking forward for the, to the quadrology. Uh, what's your thoughts on, on 125 at the moment?
1: I've been saying for a few weeks that this division is going to be front and center for at least the first, the first quarter of 2023, but probably to me the whole year because of what you just said, right? We get a title fight at the first pay-per-view of the year. Even if that champion needs to be out for six or eight months, we're going to get another one somewhere down the line and the competition and the fights to get there are going to be outstanding. We've seen that even in the last couple of weeks, as you said, right? Manel Cape, David Dvorak last weekend, Matthias Nikolau and Matt Schnell before that, like Kai France is fighting Alex Perez in Perth in February. Pantoja's hanging around. Things are getting exciting again. Like not that they ever weren't exciting in this division, but they're getting exciting again. And I think there's going to be consistent, exciting fights in this division all year. The trouble, and I think you and I talk about it regularly when we do this is that it feels like flyweight comes in waves where we get like some good fights for 3 months and then they go away for a bit and so if we can spread that out a little bit more and i think some of that just happens organically right brandon royval's coming back from an injury so his timeline is a little bit shifted there'll be some other people that are coming up or coming down that will will slot in there and figure out in there i mean amir albazi seems to be ready to fight every 3 months So we could just keep rolling him in there, but it's it's going to be an outstanding year at 125 for sure.
0: Uh, Who are up and comers in that division? I'm looking at the division here now, and it it looks a bit like heavyweight or something. That a lot of the guys who just came into the division have either are either like one and two, two and one, three and one, two and three. There are a few people like Albazi, like Makayev, like Jeff Molina, who are three and o, a Tatsuya Tiara as well. But the vast majority of the people with, say, five fights or less or six fights or less, have all lost a couple of fights. And I, I, for me, that shows the quality of the division. Who are the guys that stick out? Like, obviously, Makaya, we've talked about him many times before. Maybe there's no uh, no need to mention him. Who are the other guys to you that, that stand out?
1: I'm interested to see what Jeff Molina continues to evolve into. Um, obviously, he's got some challenges in front of him with the whole Glory MMA situation and the James Krause situation. Um, Tatsuro Taira has looked Terrific to me for a 22, 23-year-old fighter. Um, He's supposed to be fighting on the card in Seoul, which looks like it's up in the air and maybe shifting to the UFC apex with the Korean zombie being hurt. Jake Hadley's still interesting to me. Alan Nascimento that beat Jake Hadley is still interesting to me. Jimmy Flick's coming back. He hit a flying triangle on Cody Durden in his one and only UFC fight and then was like, cool, I'm out. And now he's back. You want to give me a guy that hits flying triangles? I'm in. I'm in. I'm always gonna be in. And then you just see some of these other guys, right? Carlos Moto was was okay in his debut against Cody Durden, former LFA champ. See what he does, you know, with a little bit more experience, a little bit more time. There were a couple of guys off of the contender series that haven't fought yet that are just look, I'm not advocating for them being top top 10 top 15 guys within the next year but are just interesting to see what they develop into right Clayton Carpenter um Vinicius Salvador that was supposed to fight last last week or a couple weeks ago now against Harry's guy the mad bastard Daniel Da Silva and so there's there's always going to be a few young talents that are coming through I'm sure there are people outside of the promotion that are going to fall onto that list as well
0: you look at one five then we started at that kind of area. And I feel like there's more st- sticking out there. Like the two uh, the two Saeeds, as Harry called them, that fought at the weekend. Saeed Nurmagomedov and Saeed Jacob Kakaromanov, you know, a ball with three fights in the UFC. One of them 3-0 and one of them 2-1 uh, uh, and one now, is it if, if that's... Uh, yeah, that's around right, I think. You've uh, Javid Basharat in there. You've Umar Nurmagomedov, who's obviously ranked. I think Saeed is ranked uh, as well at the moment. You know, you've Adrian Yanez, who's 5-0 and in the division. One thirty-five is such a strong division towards the top, and you know Farid Bashara, Basharat's coming in there as well. Those two brothers look like, you know, they're they're on a real fucking run towards uh, the relevance here, I suppose, which is hard to find uh, in the UFC. We we know we've seen uh, uh, Cameron Simon and and uh, Raul Rosas Junior. both getting wins the other day. It's an exciting time for that side of the 135 pound division, he's he, Rosas maybe, you know, he's only 18, we'll give him another bit of time, not putting him up there with, with the other lads maybe, but God almighty, the level of talent there, like you're looking, I probably named the future UFC champion in the five or six guys I've named there, I would say, uh, and that's exciting to see, and to see all those young guys move up, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think the name that you mentioned that has future UFC champion written all over it is is Umar Nurmagomedov. But we can—that's—that's that's still a couple of years away, I think. Which, which is why this is exciting, right? We've talked for the last couple of years that this is the deepest, most competitive, most well-stocked division in the UFC, and the names that you listed and the way you just ran through that is why we have fighters that are one and zero or still to debut in the UFC like Farid Bashrat that are intriguing. And on the way up, we have that middle pack of guys that have, you know, between three and, and six fights in the UFC that still have room to grow like the Adrian Yanezes, like Taylor Lapilus, who is supposed to be coming back, like Kyler Phillips still only has five fights in the UFC. He's been ranked at one point and can still move forward. Said Nurmagomedov, as we said over the weekend, gets a very good win, come from behind win. Saeed Yukub who he beat. Still looks intriguing as a 27-year-old that can move forward. And we're not even into the top 10 with that. We're not even into the guys that are, you know, just outside. Like Montel Jackson has eight fights in the UFC. Still has a ton of upside to me. I mean, this is, I, I love this division so much because there's so many options. And then we get into the really good stuff. Then we get it like Jonathan Martinez isn't ranked and has looked great. Chris Gutierrez isn't ranked and has looked great. It's, it's, it's an amazing division. I, every year I look forward to it. Like you could, you could match so many of these guys up in so many different ways that I will. Yes. Sign off. Let me see it. I want all of it. I'm
0: I'm just looking at Zane's list here and Janora really sticks out to me, right? And this may sound like a negative, but it's not. The amount of losses that the top guys in, in this division have, it just shows you the quality. Like, let me run through a few of them. Like Hafael Asinsau, okay, he's kind of been maybe a gatekeeper in the division for a while. Eight losses. Gino Vera Six losses. Dominic Cruz, four losses. TJ Dillashaw five losses. Pedro Munoz, seven. Al Jermain, the champion, three losses. Rob Font, five losses. Cody Garbrandt, five losses. Uh, John and Martinez, even, you just mentioned, three losses. Uh, Corey Sandegan, three losses. Pedro Rian, three losses. Like, you, you look at other divisions... Even you know someone like Josh Philly, who looks unbeatable, two losses in the division. You uh, and Sean O'Malley, maybe is the one that stands out. He's only the one, and that was a bit of a weird one. But you you look at other divisions, and that's sometimes the case, but not always the case. You know, you have li- lads like Islam, who what is he? Has he lost once, or you know, some lads undefeated when they get it right up there. Volkanovski undefeated, another result. That bantamweight division is survival of the fittest in the fucking most. Uh, outwardly clear way that you possibly can be, and no one gets there unscarred, they unscathed, and to be at the top of that division. Now, some people might say, "Oh, Aljamain's not the best 135 pounder in the world, and wh- whatever." But Aljamain has served these fucking Jews to get there, as uh, as have all the other lads. And you look at Yan, like y- uh, spoiler alert, but Yan has won our biggest disappointment this year, or whatever it is, uh, name it that award. And am like, God almighty, he could have won both fights. You know, it's just, he was viewed as someone who was so good, but that division is so amazing at the very, very top. It's almost impossible to be close to perfect up there. It's amazing, Spencer, isn't it?
1: This is the thing that separates, to me, MMA from boxing. It You go through tests to get to the top. And while it's great and certainly interesting to see an undefeated fighter work their way forward, or somebody go on the kind of run, as you've said, Islam Mahashev, we'll get to him shortly, I'm sure. One loss, and he's on this beautiful run. Alex Wolkanovski, zero losses in the UFC. That's certainly exciting. I also don't mind seeing guys go out there and test themselves. Like you mentioned Corey Sandhagen, who to me is one of the guys that jumps off the page in this division yes. to speak about how dangerous and talented it is. He's eight and three in the UFC the losses are all two guys that have carried the title. He certainly has the capability to do it himself, but he also could be one of those guys that just doesn't get there because he keeps running into fucking killers. Like every time out, he just ends up against some tough, miserable opponent and you win one and then you face Piotr Jan and then you win one and you face Aljo and he just happens to get you right. Like these things happen. Like Aljamain, his three losses he just ran like he dipped into a knee and took one in the head and then dabbed on him. <laughs> like it's, this is what makes this division in this sport to me. Great is that for the most part, we get athletes being tested when they need to be tested so that we learn the true value of them, the true level of them. Whereas it's, you know, boxing, you tend to see, ah, we're going to go out and put up 20, 25, Thirty wins, and then we're gonna face one guy once, and we'll see what happens. And retire. No, no, I never be seen again. And then yeah. face Derek Chisora every weekend.
0: But I would take that. You know, we all, in MMA. There's this weird thing where sometimes we want to be like other sports. Or we want to be like boxing, or we want to chase perfection people need to realize that the lack of perfection is actually what makes MMA beautiful and brilliant like whether that was with the fighting or even with judging and things like that it's like or, or let's design the sport to be fun and let's design the sport that a guy like three wins can have or, sorry with three losses like Aljamain Cerning or like Perry can have the respect of all the fans and we could still absolutely love them like look at figure or, the, or any of the other divisions we talked about Amanda Nunes has lost a lot of times so and we still call her the goat and she is the goat you 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 know Demetrius Janssen has lost a couple of times. He's up there behind me in my wall. I couldn't respect the fighter more. Absolutely brilliant. It should not. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. And uh, I don't think it does. But anyway, this 135 pound division. What happens? Tell us. Let's say there's. Let's say uh, Algernon Sterling has three title fights this year, and let's say he wins them all. Who do you think the three people will be?
1: Put me on the spot here. I love it. And that's all of us. That's what we do here. I (laughs) love it. (laughs) Don't be killing time now. (laughs) I think the first one should be Sean O'Malley. Like it just makes sense. I do because I think you just capitalize on it because I don't think the in. So it seems like we've heard rumor that it's going to be Henry Cejudo. Yes. Who comes back and walks right into a title shot. And I sort of understand it from the, from the standpoint of he gave up the belt and, and peaced out. So Fine. But I think you got to do the Sean O'Malley fight. Like Sean shouldn't fight face anyone else coming off that Piotr Jan win because you just capitalize on it. You put him in there with Corey and he might lose. You put him in there with Murab, he might lose. And so if Aljo gets through Henry Cejudo, it should then be Sean. And then after that, it's whoever sort of sorted themselves out to be next in line. I would think it'll be someone in the in the Cheeto-Vera-Corey-Sandhagen range. I think those two want to and are going to end up facing each other. And then the winner of that kind of hangs out and is like, great, I'll take O'Malley or the title. What's Murab Jashvili going to do? He's, he's the, he might end up being the odd man out. So Aljo has talked about, I'll go up and clear away for Murab. I wouldn't be surprised if if he's the guy that gets in there with Piotr Jan. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a fight they make. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to do Corey Sandhagen, Test him against the guy that has shown a little bit better takedown defense, a little bit more interest in getting up and getting off the fence than we saw from Jose Aldo in that last fight. I also wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy that ends up facing Umar Nurmagomedov. And they give Umar a like. Let's see if we can shotgun this. Love it and get him in there. I would love the shit out of that fight just from the scramble standpoint. If but this is if- he's, <laughs> he's the he's the odd man out, he really right? Is. He's in the weird spot because his close friend and training partner is sitting at the top of the division.
0: If this was pro wrestling, right, what would happen is Al would fight uh, against Henry Suhuda on his next fight. He'd win. And just as he's given the post-fight press conference, up on a big screen would be a picture of Ray Longo on like a chair in a dark room with like a bag over his head. And then there's Mirab's Ashville. He's just coming out. I got him. And I'm just this big heel throw. That's what I want to see. Mirab, come on, get it going. Do you know as well, the one thing I have to say here, and this is, I feel like this is always a very positive pod, podcast. But what the fuck were the UFC doing with Jose Aldo? They put him in there with fucking Mirab Dashvili. They gave
1: half worst, of PJ Dillashaw a title. Worst show. matchup possible. Oh, my God. I just—I
0: have to mention that because I feel like if we're talking about the state of the UFC, by God, that was the biggest fuck-up. I think the UFC maybe matchmaking have ever made. Like, genuinely, it was... It was ridiculous You had one last chance With Jose Aldo And you put him in there Against Dash Philly For the most boring Fucking fight of the year Oh Jesus I don't know Like and as well You're you're talking about Jose Aldo A lad who had to fight um, Against uh, Frank Edgar twice He had to fight Against Chad Mendes So it's not It's not as if This is a guy Who hasn't given people more chances even than they deserve, maybe in right. the past, and right. for him to be given one, I don't think anyone would. And, he, and it's not even he was given one; he earned it. Like I think most people agreed he was the guy who should be next. I can't believe that. I can't believe it. Anyway, let's move on. We're going to jump here to Middle West, because I want to talk about featherweight, lightweight, last, and we we'll, we're okay. jumping all over. We're jumping all over the place here. We're getting crazy. Middleweight I don't, do you
1: know your, what your favorite division. No,
0: no opinion from me here. You tell us about Middle West. Go on. What do you think? It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Terrible. I, I guess my opinion is out there too. So go
1: on. It, it's yeah. terrible. Like it's, it's gotten worse. So Harry and I were talking, um, just offline after the weekend where we had Jared Cannon and Sean Strickland and my, my lead takeaway from that. And I wrote about it in, in the recap that is up on severe MMA.com at the present. And that is, that the top three guys in that division are so far and away better than everybody else that it's not interesting. Like Jared Cannonier, to me won that fight. Fine. Great. Whatever. I don't need to see him face Robert Whitaker or Izzy or Alex Paheya ever because he's not beating them. He's just not. He doesn't have the repertoire. He doesn't have the push to get it done, nor does Sean Strickland, nor does Marvin Vittori nor does the ghost of Derek Brunson. The in, there's, there's a couple of interesting people, right? Roman Delizze is starting to look a little interesting. Dricus Duplessis, a little interesting. Your guy, Andre Muniz, booked to face Brendan Allen. That's an interesting fight. I still like the upside of Nasruddin Imovov. Yeah. But is he going to close the gap to face and beat Robert Whitaker? Maybe a few years down the road as Whitaker starts to slide back. But right now it's just such a hard division to get excited about because the gap in talent is so vast. It was weird, but myself
0: and Harry talking on the podcast over the weekend, myself and Ian talked about it as well, but like there's this guy, I, I don't know if you, you know him too, much, but Christian Neri Duncan, he's the the middleweight champion in cage warriors. And I was saying like, if you could think of one guy from this local scene that could come in and win a title, uh, you know, it's very hard to do that, you know, cause it's up and comers or whatever. Um, um and you look at a guy like Christian Nero Duncan and you're thinking to yourself, this guy could beat some of the top fifteen right now at the moment. You're thinking like, if you put him in there with a Sean Strickland, could he win that fight? I, I think he probably I think he probably could and maybe he would you know, if you put him in there against uh, Darren Till or a Chris Curtis even maybe or a Kelvin Gastelum or a Paulo Costa and that's a weird thing to say about someone who's had seven fights in their career and now that means he's very, very good but it also means that the division is really, really, really bad and to to kind of realize that I suppose this is an example to show how bad the division is that someone who is so kind of young and so up and coming could beat guys who are ranked like number 5 and 6 in the division or number 7 in the division and it's not a good thing to say about it at all like you look at some of the some of the up and comers in that division as well, and it's it's like it's hard to pick out someone who is actually going to stand out. Like obviously Bo Nickel, like maybe Joe Joe Pifer could be one of the guys that that stands out. But I don't know, like. Is there, like tricky, stupidly as you mentioned, Spencer. Three fights. I don't think he is actually that, or four fights. No, I don't think he's that great. Kal Bahalio might be the guy that sticks out. Like the champion is only four fights uh, in the UFC, There's Andrew um, Petrovsky and other ones as well. But I was, as I was saying, like the, the the division is just so light and just so bad that it's almost like we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel necessarily with where it's going to go next. Like in an ultimate. Awesome, it makes the decision for the UFC almost easy to make that rematch because there's no one else really there. Like, I, I, Whitaker versus uh, Pineda be a great fight. Absolutely. I would love to see that. But, like, you have that down the line. Like, Whitaker's not going to lose any of them bums coming up. Like, you put, put make the fight, make the rematch. Is, is that, you think, what they'll do next?
1: I think so. You ha- I think you have to give Israel his due for what he has done in that division. And for the fact that, you know, he won at at least three, if not all four of those rounds before it finished. And so given that situation and given, as you just said, that you can have the Whitaker fight in your back pocket because he, he will beat Paulo Costa. He will beat whoever stands across from him because he is that good. Then you just go forward with it. You're mentioning sort of the, the dearth of talent. It makes me wonder every time you mentioned christian Leroy duncan i think about guys like johnny eblin i think about like how is the ufc like is that bellator just being better at going after some of these much younger fighters i think so is it the ufc being asleep at the wheel and just only wanting people to come through their funnel Joe, it's like, weird. It this would be, be really division. nice to see some of those guys in the UFC right now. Yeah. The
0: weirdest thing about this middleweight division, right? is less, a guy like Johnny Evelyn, who's a very strong wrestler if people don't watch Bellator he's the champion there at the moment because wrestling he's way there, very very good all-around fighter but a, a tremendous wrestler middleweight doesn't really have that standout wrestler does it like looking through the top 15 Till not a wrestler Curtis not a wrestler Gastelum he can wrestle but not a wrestler Imavov, little bit but not necessarily Munoz geek I suppose he kind of is but more maybe a jiu guy Duplacine no Hermanson no De lids uh, a bit but not not necessarily Strickland no Costa no Brunson But no Vittori, no Canonier, no Whitaker, no Adesanya, no Pereira, obviously not. There's none there yet. The division is really fucking boring. It's not weird. It's not a weird fucking (laughs) thing. Very (laughs) weird. Very, very weird.
1: So a bunch of it is what we talked about earlier, right? This division has cannibalized itself for years because there was a push to get Israel up. There was a push to get Rob up. Things like that. And so we had stretches where fighters were off. We had an interim title at one point that sort of led to a bunch of these. And like, truthfully part of it is that a bunch of these guys that got pushes and that got opportunities aren't that great. Darren Till turns out not that good. Just the way it is. Marvin Vittori good, but not really good. And so you just get stuck like Sean Strickland, good fighter, limited fighter. And so you just get stuck in a spot where there's a whole bunch of sameness that feels right. Like Kevin Holland was a thing in this division two years ago where it was, Hey, maybe he's the guy. He should go back. Turns out. (laughs) No, turns out he can't wrestle to save his life. Literally. I mean, the, the really interesting thing is as we're talking about sort of guys that maybe not got away, but like you had the opportunity to get a look at, Aaron Jeffrey went out and beat Austin Vanderford. Both of those guys passed through Dana White's contender series. They didn't look great. Aaron Jeffrey lost, but he lost to Kyle Bahio, who you've now signed and, and shotgunned into a hey, look at our big star coming off contender series. Rob Wilkinson. Rob Wilkinson has done what, like, it just feels, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that Joe Silva's gone. And Joe Silva used to be a maniac about finding talent from all over the place. But it just feels like if if there's a division in the UFC that could use two or three interesting, relatively young, but talented fighters to, to turn up in the next 18 months, it's middleweight. And it's always middleweight. Indeed. Let's talk about welterweights and... Everything that you said
0: there a minute ago is the exact opposite for Welterwet, because this has some brilliant young up and coming fighters, but fighters who are both up and coming and in their prime kind of like you look at even Usman, even Edwards, But Shumayev, Bilal is on a great run at the moment. Wonder looks look fantastic against Holland, Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is fighting Neil Magny, isn't it? Soon? Isn't Neil Magny... Or is it Jeff Neal? I always get Jeff Neal and Neil Magny mixed up. I think it's the Neal thing. It's like, I don't know. Uh, but look, Shavkat is on his way up. This division is just so fucking great. It's just so fucking great. It, oh, have you any idea what's going to happen with the belt? Is Usman injured? Is he injured or is he going to be fighting Edwards or is it going to be Masvidal? What's going to happen, Spencer?
1: I feel like if it was going to be Usman, we'd be getting the announcement sometime now. I have a feeling that it's not going to be Usman. I have a feeling that it's going to be Masvidal. Oh God, no! Which is which is awful. I want it to be Bilal Muhammad because a that'll win me a bet with our guy Ian O'Neill. B, he deserves it on merit, like in terms of you know doing the thing that you're supposed to do of winning fights. I mean, could they just say, "All right, screw it," and and do Chimaev? Sure, but I don't necessarily think they want to do that to Leon at home in England. Yeah, <laughs> like that would be that would be real mean. That'd be a real shitty thing to do. Hey, your first title defense, we will give it to you at home, but face this guy. And I, I do think he needs one more after all the the chaos earlier in this year of missing Wade and the the whole thing yeah. coming apart. And so I, which I mean, makes makes the Masvidal thing even more stupid. Like, let's be completely cards on the table. It is dumb. It is five years beyond. I mean, I guess it's not even been five years since it happened, but it's two years beyond its expiration date. Like, the three piece in a soda was fun when it happened and the fight should have happened and Masvidal didn't want it, didn't want it, didn't want it. Now that he's on the other side of it and Leon has a big shiny belt, he's like, yeah, it's my turn. Remember, we have that beef. And it's the saddest thing imaginable. Because he'd know who'd
0: who'd win, like,
1: you know? Yeah, it's sad seeing him and his representatives be like, you never wanted us, we're still here, remember when we beat? It's like, he asked for that, we all saw it for years. It's like when Dana would do the, like, nobody wants to fight Chimaev," And Neil Magny's standing here perpetually (laughs) with his hand up. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll I'll do this any time you want, I will do this. No, can't see anybody that wants to fight Chimaev. Balala said he but wants it's... to fight Shemayev too. Maybe that's what they do. I mean, Colby seems like he's he's out until things get resolved in, <laughs> At least in a court of my... law oh, where yeah. his tooth yeah. heals or whatever's wrong with him. But yeah, that's, it's I mean, a... the good thing is, as you said, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's still a whole fuckload of talent to deal with.
0: I just looked number ten there, and Shafkar Rachmanov is just waiting in the long grass. Just oh, who am I going to destroy a couple of times before I, I mean, get him? And the Jeff Neal
1: is a hell of a fight. Yeah, it's a hell of a oh, fight. Can't wait for it. Let's go, lordy! Great fight. Do
0: you know one thing as well that people aren't saying enough? And I said it the second it was announced on on Twitter uh, that this title fight is going to be on in fucking Wimbley or whatever it is. And the Deno, did you hear Denois' excuse why they can't do it in Cardiff? Because, oh, we don't want to do an outdoor stadium in, uh, in the
1: UK. Yeah, it's got a roof. It's got a roof. <laughs> are you fucking serious? Like, what? I can't the, believe The reason it. they're not doing it is because there's uh, not enough European stars to, or UK stars. Like, I think they'd sell it out. Blow it out. I, I, I think they'd it out. I think they would out. because they don't go and do that kind of thing. Yeah. Generally speaking,
0: WWE did it like I, I think they could. I know WWE is massive, and people, you know, people maybe underestimate that, but I, I really think they could do it. I think people would have the right for it.
1: card, they could do it, but they've, as per often, they have booked themselves into a bit of a corner. Indeed. Because they've had Molly fight, they've had Patty fight, they've had Darren Till fight, Tom Aspinall's on the sidelines. I don't think you're hustling Arnold Allen. Right back around, into it. I mean, you certainly could. He hasn't fought in a couple months now. Or by the time that event comes together, it'll be six months. But they—they they certainly could. Let's let's be clear. They could. They could. They just chose not. To.
0: Give me your two guys on the way up a welterweight before we move on. Who you're excited about? I won't throw out any names because I feel like I'm always robbing your names just by reading uh, reading the list here. But two guys <laughs> we maybe haven't mentioned yet. Uh, and, and in welterweight, I know there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys with good records, a lot of guys kind of, I suppose, waiting just outside the the top 15 to get in there. Who, who are the guys to send out for you?
1: So we have to do our obligata- obligatory Ian Gary mention. Yes, I'm glad you said that. No, yes. Have to give our obligatory Ian Gary mention. He still looks like a guy that we all want to see and we want to see more of in 2023. Hopefully we get two or three fights. That would be really that, to me is the important part. I want to see him active as opposed to limited. um Jack della Maddalena is so is the guy yeah. is the guy right now, right? Like, absolutely clobbered Danny Roberts to get his third win of the year. Three and oh, the boxing looks crisp. the right amount of. I'm better than you at all times in there, right? Got him in a little bit of trouble with Ramazan Ameev, but he was like, "Ah, I shouldn't be fucking around. Let me just get this guy out of here. Michael Morales is still interesting to me. He was supposed to fight last weekend against Renat Fakradinov, who looked very good. He's certainly in that group as well. Um, And then, you know, Mike Malat looked very good in his debut, knocking, knocking Mickey Gall out. Josh Quinlan looked very good in his debut, knocking Jason Witt out. I mean, Cedric Dombe is on is on Zayn's list. I know he got a win over the weekend, I believe, in an MMA fight, he and did. I saw my guy Aaron Bronstetter, our guy Aaron Bronstetter, be like, "Cool, get him on the London show. They didn't want to let him fight in in France because of the disparity in terms of yeah in terms of level of experience. Cool, London, let's go. Get him in there. I don't know that he's ready to be or capable of being, but yeah. like. Just, just do it. Just I, get him in
0: there. I'm just expecting him to show up in a Bellator card, like very, very soon. That's that's what I'm expecting. But you know, hopefully, hopefully not. Uh, yeah, he's so fun, and and he's definitely. I'd love to see. Let's let's talk about Paddy Pimblett. Um, okay. I find it very weird to see what's going on, and I I don't know. I retweeted it one of my own tweets from about six months ago, where I predicted exactly what's happened in the last two weeks where it's basically like I cannot wait until people realize what Paddy Pimblet actually is and now that's in more ways than one and it it's such a weird position to be kind of sitting back and looking at because like overnight it was like a click overnight that everyone changed and it was as if everything that they'd said before had been erased and they had been saying the exact things, same things that I'd been saying for years all the time. Now, I'm not saying I'm any great genius or anything. The only reason I have this information, well, maybe I am. The, uh, the only re- reason I'm saying it. According to your WhatsApp profile, you
1: are Sean Sheehan genius. <laughs> really? Um, I that's what to- it says. It, that's what it says in my phone. Fair enough. Maybe it's true. Your contact, Sean Sheehan, genius.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. I must have changed that when I was drunk or something. But, like, the the only reason I know is because I've been watching Baddie Pimble for years and anyone that's been, is not hard to decipher. Why is decipher becoming my favourite fucking word? I was on with John Annick and I said it a thousand times on that fucking podcast. But anyway. Name drop. Name drop. And Kenny, Kenny Florian too. It's... It's so honestly brilliant and weird to watch. It's mad because, like, Paddy's not a terrible fighter, I think. Paddy's a good, solid, bottom twenty-five percentile UFC fighter in the lightweight division because it's such a good division. And that's grand. There's lots of guys like that. There's not like the Jim Millers, the Joe Lawsons, them guys who can put on a great career and earn loads of money throughout the years and be fun fighters that we absolutely love that are never going to get towards a title pitcher. Like, why can't... He can be one of them fighters, no problem. But the fact... (laughs) The fact that people are kind of overnight realizing he's not championship material he's not the next McGregor he's not all it seems is fascinating how, how have you seen that as someone who's obviously been on all the the previews and stuff with us when we've kind of said that looked into it yourself and then kind of like oh yeah wait these lads are these lads are right it's Cage Warriors viewers
1: no other the fucking shit about this lad yeah I mean if you if you go back and watch those Cage Warriors losses or even some of the Cage Warriors wins. You wins could more so early. Yeah. <laughs> you could see that it was like, okay, there's a level here. And even if you watch those early UFC fights, every one of them he gets clipped or he gets stung or he gets put on a little bit of and all the stuff that didn't look good in the Jared Gordon fight has been there the whole time. I think the awakening, as we'll call it, of people comes from the fact or speaks to how the push and the entertainment side of things can do a lot to paper over the actual results and actual performance. It shows how little some fans and and truthfully, probably a large part of the audience cares about the meritocracy, about results and, and who you're beating as opposed to how you're beating them and the push that's coming behind it. Patty has gotten a ton of push from the UFC. He's gotten a ton of support from Barstool. He has become a kind of overnight success in the United States over this little UFC run, whereas yourself and the rest of the lads and everybody that has seen him all the way up look at it and just go, this guy? this is the guy. And it's just, it's really the, the funniest part to me is the simple part that you you and everybody else here at Sevier were going on about rightfully from the beginning. This isn't a 22-year-old or 23-year-old that is still figuring it out and the upside is still un, uncalculated. This is a 27-year-old fighter who's been fighting pro since he was I think 18, 19. Yeah, it's his 10th year. Yeah, his like, role, yeah. He's been doing this for a while. This isn't some new, hey, let's see what he gets to. We've got a lot of information on him. And we saw in the Jared Gordon fight that that's about where it tops out. Like you're not putting him in there with anybody too much more dangerous than Jared Gordon. And if you do, he's going to get whacked. There are winnable matchups in certain ways
0: for him, like there are for a lot of fighters, I suppose. And I, th- I suppose he has the benefit of them actually
1: caring about his matchmaking. You can find some wonderful fights that mm-hmm. will be entertaining, that are very much winnable. And then there are a bunch of guys that you're just like, nah. Like Drew Dober last week or, or after his, after his oh. press conference, somebody asked him about it. And I almost tweeted out the, like, can we just not do the, do you want to fight Patty thing? Because it's just like uh, fighters are embarrassed. Stop, please,
0: fighters are embarrassed. Fighters are embarrassed now. I I was talking to Dean about it. I was like, true. I I was like, Oh, Drew Dober's going to call him out. And and did I realize to myself, you'd actually look like you were
1: a bully if you called Paddy Pimble out now. Because Drew Dober so in his media, somebody asked him about it, and he was like, The UFC isn't. Let's be honest, the UFC isn't going to let me do that. I will kill that man. Like, and that's what it is. And that's. Like, if we can just be honest about it and speak of it that way, and I'm all the props in the world for Drew Dober for calling that 100% like it is. And any media member that is at these things that doesn't recognize that yet isn't paying attention or is just looking to get. Paddy Pimlet's name into a headline
0: someone said Joel Alvarez the other day right and I think I was looking a second ago is Joel down at 1 is he down at 145 I think he's 4-2 in the UFC right which would make sense with the matchmaking Paddy's what 3-1 or or, or, sorry 3-0 or something like that 4-0 now or something that would make a bit of sense Joel Alvarez would destroy Paddy Bimler and I mean when I say destroy I mean absolutely fucking destroy him maybe a guy like Claudio Puelas you know that might be good matchmaking although Puelas is good at jiu-jitsu and that's the only way Paddy can kind of beat someone yeah Claudio
1: Puelas is still a fucking test yeah he's still a test like I'm looking at some of these names here right Guram Kutatiladze is facing Thiago Moises You keep it the fuck away from that group. Terrence McKinney. Imagine that. Yeah. Terrence McKinney smashes him in the face. I mean, he, I don't even know, like just in the area around him. Right. So looking at Zane's list and shout out as always to Zane Simon for his list of the active roster and, and things like that. Mike Davis probably boxes his head off. Right. Keeps that chin high. Probably boxes his head off. The thing is though, before
0: you even go through these, right? I did this with Cage Warriors like a year ago, right? And <laughs> <laughs> like Mike Figlack is there now. Mike Figlack yeah. will beat him, destroy him. Joe McCulgan was the champion at the time. Absolutely right. destroy him. Mason Jones yeah. would I don't he's not even in the UFC anymore, I don't think, would absolutely destroy him. Aggie Sardari, who's lost like three fights in, would absolutely destroy him. George Hardwick. I believe they they sparred and that didn't go so great. <laughs>
1: you not dead. like. I just, mean, I I said it UFC. for the longest time. Jamie Malarkey is is the test. Is yeah. the like litmus is the litmus point. I think he's got a fight booked for Perth, but like he's that sort of level to me. Of, and and Jared Gordon truthfully was that level. Was he the was. like if you can't, if you're not going to dominate Jared Gordon, and by no means did Patty dominate that fight, regardless of how he scored it. We're not having any more of those conversations. It, it just shows you where the top end is. And so it's got to be like, do you stick him in there with Mark Madsen coming off a loss? That's a Does terrible match Mark Madsen matchup. just wrestle him into oblivion? Yes, absolutely. That's how Paddy has lost all of his fights previously. Right. Like, you know? So it's going to be Chris Gritzmacher. He, I think it's he probably wrestles be, him as well. And, and Gritz is tough. Yeah. Gritz is a grimy dude, right? Is it Ferez Zayem? Another tall, kind of rangy, might be able to beat him. But like, that's, again... That's still a test. That's still a tough fight.
0: Here's one I can see, right? Slava Claus, because he got destroyed. Yep. He lost a couple of. Uh, but remember him in the contender series? Like, if he fights anywhere like that, he'll knock Patty out. Like, this guy can Oh, Oh, 100%. My <laughs> man
1: can. <laughs> like, incredible. the way to beat Slava Claus is what Mark Jacasey did yeah. and wrestle him into oblivion. Yeah, Patty might and be and able if to. Do that. With, if well, you stand with him, Patty is going to face the Chris Duncan fate where things are going fine and then you eat a left hook that sends you into the shadow realm.
0: We we need someone with just really shit
1: judo, who who loves taking people down. That's that's all we need here to get of in. But I, I mean, remember. does he does he face a Rafa Garcia who's coming off a win? Does he face maybe? Maybe, maybe, Herbert? maybe, maybe do we, we finally do Jai Herbert? Do we do we have a Cage Warriors reunion and do Jai Herbert in London? If
0: that fight is standing for more than three minutes, Jai Herbert will knock him out like <laughs> like without a shadow of a
1: doubt. Yeah. This is the shadow, problem right without. urosh medic kicks him in the guts and he falls over a bunch of times like triangle Alves is is a big dangerous power hit like there's just there's not a lot of good matchups for 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 our guy paddy out there no there aren't there are not indeed uh
0: let's let's move on from Patty and let's talk about like one of the best divisions in the world we've just talked about one of the worst fighters in it for the for the last 10 minutes um who are the best up-and-comers outside of the top 15 in in that division? You know, I know you've named a few of them there. Like, the, the think about it, someone like Joel Alvarez, who I mentioned, I, I think he's such a talented guy, you know, and he's lost two of his six fights in the UFC. It's another division like Bantamweight, we mentioned earlier, where you go in there and you lose. You're like, Marco Madsen is such a talented guy. Ishmagulov now is, okay, he's still 5-1, a great record. Even Gamrat has lost two of his six fights as well. It's
1: very, very tough to, to go undefeated in this division. Who are, who are the guys for you? I mean, Alvarez is, is certainly near the top of that list. You say the two losses, yes, but it's Demirish Mugulov and Armin Saryukin who Indeed. were in the co-main <laughs> event last week <laughs> and true. are absolutely fucking terrific. And so that's another one of those, like, we can't fault him for it kind of situations. Um, I mean, I know he's in the top 10, but Gamrod is, is certainly still somebody to look at and to pay attention to. He's ranked, but Jalen Turner is a fucking problem. Jalen Turner is a big old problem. Harry talked about it after his last win of here's a kid that's got some experience, has some power and is figuring out how to use his length. That boy's going to be a problem. Grant Dawson has looked terrific. He's looked even better since going down to American top team. Like there's some talent coming there. And then you get into some of these like very early stages of their UFC career kind of group and and terrence mckinney is still obviously like really good somebody we have to pay a lot of attention you don't put drew dober on skates like that and be that close to finishing drew dober on short notice yeah he lost he got ahead of himself he got out in front of his skis a little bit you dial that back just that little bit you figure that piece out and the ufc is doing the right thing of Pulling him back, just pulling on the reins a little bit and being like, okay, you don't need to face these guys that are just outside of the top 15. He's now facing Ismael Bonfine on that first pay-per-view card in Brazil. That'll be interesting. I mentioned Goram Kutatziladze. He's still in that group. I mean, I'm always going to be a fan of Benoit Saint-Denis. I don't think it goes very far, but stick that guy in the cage and we get to see some fun shit happen. But uh, there's some... There's some interesting guys. There's, there's. It's, it's a great division. We just need to clear those, those three guys that we won't talk about that you dislike so much that hang around at the top.
0: Genuinely, I, I, I want to talk for a second more about lightweight, but I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about Parry, Gaethje, and Chandler. There's not. I love them guys. They're great fighters, but like they're just holding up that division there. Let's just forget about them. We'll talk about Makachev in a second when we talk about Volkanovsky as well. So we'll, we'll meld those two. But if you're to look at the guys in the middle, and I was looking at this today and like, it feels like it's almost every second fighter. Dawson Ishmagulov, Turner Saryukin, Gamrat Fiziev. I couldn't believe when I saw Fiziev today at number six. and I, I was joyous to see it there. I was like, Jesus, I'm so glad. And then obviously Benil as well. The amount of fucking talent in that division, it feels like, how many have I named, like, six guys there or something? God almighty, make an eight-man tournament there, and one of them fights for the belt, you know? Or even make a four-man tournament, give Benili's shot, and then the the winner of that four-man tournament fights for the belt. Oh, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. It's such... Who, who do you think... Who is the guy? Who's the guy who's going to merge out of them to give Isma, uh, Islam Makachev or Volkanovski the biggest challenge?
1: Just out of that that pack? Just out of yeah. that group you're mentioning? Or, oh, is, or is there anybody? someone else? Maybe there's someone else. Anyone. But out of that pack as well. I mean, Saryukin's the guy for me. He's the guy for me. Like, he just... You keep seeing... Little bits of improvement and little bits of like he just beat a dude that was on a 19 fight winning streak, not, and he's really good. I didn't think he was great. In that he, just, he can so you and I probably have very different metrics and in, in in how we look at athletes and and look at fights. I don't mind the fact that he's a guy that can go out there and slow it down on you. No, he, he can go out there and just drag you into the muck and be like, <sighs> "Cool, we're gonna hang out over here." It's not entertaining. It's not exciting that part of it isn't, isn't exciting, but that he was able to do the things he did to Demirish Magulov, who we just praised for having beaten Yoel Alvarez and having been on the, the run that he was on. He's the guy for me. I think Faziev is the most entertaining of that pack. Um, I think Jalen, I mean, Jalen Turner and Grant Dawson, who we've talked about already are both like, Jesus, they could, they could just keep bolting pieces on and getting better. Like, as you said, just put them all together. Take all the guys that nobody wants to fight and stick them in a soup bowl, spin it around and and create a good, good set of matchups. Because it's true. Like Saryukin on the weekend saying, like, none of these guys want to fight me. That's why I faced this Magulov is the same thing that Faziev said going into his fight against RDA and coming out of his fight against RDA. All of these guys that are ahead of me are gonna come up with some reason why they don't want to fight me. We keep seeing it. If that's the case, great. Let's just fucking move forward. Let's just move on. It feels like they're just going to probably make Fizia versus
0: Darius now. <laughs> and then like the winner of that, will well, they, they even get a title shot? Like, well, what's Oliveira? Going? I don't know. I don't even want yeah. to really discuss that because yeah. we don't know. And it's just going around and around in circles. But God almighty, the talent there is phenomenal. Makacar um, versus Volkanovski, like... Okay, we might say it's holding up the divisions and we might say, uh, like, Makachev is, is just the champion and um, uh, he needs to give other guys opportunities that he got and stuff. And we might say, look, Volkanovski has spent the last three years fighting Max Holloway and there's plenty more guys who deserve it. But what did I say earlier on? My New Year's resolution. Let's make a New Year's resolution again. You give me a great fight and I'll fucking take it. And this is a great fight. Do you know what, Spencer? I think Volkanovski will win.
1: I think he certainly has has a better chance than maybe some people think. I haven't I haven't sat down and really poured into it yet and looked at you know styles and all of those things. But if you think this is Islam rolls, you're out of your goddamn mind. Alex Volkanovsky is the most complete fighter in the UFC, in my opinion. Like without a doubt. Yeah. There's I'm happy to have the conversation and have the debate, and people will say, "Well, is grappling? Sure, he's not." a guy that's out there hunting for submissions but you give me the ability to make all those reads on the fly and all those changes you give me the grittiness to survive those nasty submission attempts yeah. from brian ortega ask brian ortega about his grappling yeah <laughs> tell you. you you go through and you watch that third fight with max holloway where it's just one-sided and the beating he put on chance Sung jung before that this dude's the real deal and so yeah can you make an argument that Islam just got the belt, and he should face somebody that's in line. Sure, a hundred percent. Benil Darush deserves his shot. He has done enough to merit an opportunity. But I tell you what, eking one out or not even eking one out, beating Gamrot and then coming out and saying, "I'll face three hundred guys," is going to make the UFC decide to put three hundred guys in front of you. And yes. I'm not usually the guy that's like, "Hey, call out city," but like. But one because of his personality, because of the perception of him, because he's been marred by injuries at certain points in his career, that dude needed to come out and be real forceful. And instead did the like, no, I'm a nice guy. I'm happy to do whatever needs to happen. And he's going to get, he's, as you said, he's going to end up facing Fazeev and that could go sideways in a heartbeat. And so listen, you want to do champ first champ. They were talking about it all the way up. You knew this is where it was going to go. I don't think Volkanovsky is avoiding anybody necessarily no. at featherweight. I don't think it's a situation where somebody is right there should be facing him. And it's blasphemy that he's leaving. This is the right thing for him. It may be a little early and, and unnecessary for Islam, but that's fine. He's won 10 straight in the UFC. He dominated. Charles Oliveira and as you said you want to give me fun entertaining fights I am here to be excited about them not to be critical of them
0: indeed indeed the one guy I would say that is getting a bit screwed by this at featherweight I think is Arnold Allen and uh, screwed not screwed once screwed fucking twice because uh, they have made this interim belt I didn't just
1: dream that did yeah year versus they have Emmett. made the interim belt yes yeah. it is on the uh, 284 fight card in Perth behind Islam oh really? already Alex Walkanovsky <laughs> yeah okay I didn't realize that now that that's kind of mad that the fact that they're
0: they're both fighting on the under uh, thing but uh, on the same card as the the champion line but that's not the first time the weird thing is that remember the day before Jose Allah was given the title fully they made an interim title show, fight between Anthony Pettis and Max Holloway. Wasn't that the case? The featherweight division, they're, they're used to doing that. But anyway, yeah, it was mental to me. Like, what, what is your Rodriguez getting a title shot for? Like, he's, you know, he's won one fight. Okay, he's a good fighter. I love
1: Jair Rodriguez. I'm a big fan of his. But, like, do, do you want the answer? He's getting it because he's Yair Rodriguez.
0: But like, why Yair Rodriguez? I don't know. Did they not have like a big dispute with Yair
1: Rodriguez? I mean, sure, but he's still somebody that so many people know, that so many people are interested in. I think there's still business decisions being made here of Mexican market, Latin American market. um, Popular guy has put in his time towards the top of this division. And so away we go. On merit, it's dumb. On merit, it's stupid. Abso- like Josh Emmett Merits it more than Yair Rodriguez Absolutely And Arnold Allen Merits it above both of them 100% And is probably Lapped them both Yeah Agreed
0: It was an easy one to make Like Allen and Allen and Emmett Doesn't Like it made complete sense To make that If you're making an interim tile fight And I have no problem With the interim tile football fight here at all you know he might be gone away forever like so that's fine right yeah that's that's just for certain but like you look at the rest of that division and the quality like tiporia you can't help but think tiporia and volkanovsky one day will meet and one day will i I don't know maybe we'll discover a nuclear fission or something when the two of them meet because i don't know what the fuck is going to happen there it's just going to be insane also spencer jonathan pierce is number 15 I've never heard of Jonathan Pierce. Who's Jonathan Pierce? <laughs> You've never a, heard
1: of Jonathan never Pierce? Never heard of Jonathan Is John, he good? Cool, is he? Jonathan Pierce has been doing very good things since he came to this division. So he made his debut in the UFC. He's a, he's a contender series grad. Uh, that's probably made his, so. do, made his division, made his debut in the UFC at lightweight in Boston against Joe Lozon and got trucked. Oh went yeah. Back down to, went back down to featherweight and is unbeaten since. He's the guy that beat the holy hell out Maybe of Darren Elkins of things, a couple yeah. weeks ago in Orlando. I mean, beat Macwanamrkani in London in in July like is is a good finisher, is a good overall fighter, trains with the fight ready crew out in out in Arizona like he's looked really good. I think he's a little I think the upside is capped because he doesn't have the full athleticism of a guy like Tapuria. He's already 30 years old, but for being a lower third of this division lower half of this these rankings he's a perfect fun guy to have in there
0: okay well, i look forward to to see, i have seen him before now that you're i remember him getting destroyed by joe You Remember him getting his ass kicked remember, by joe that's, yeah. that's probably why um Anyone else stand out in, in that division? You know, like William Gomez, a guy who I've watched a good few times. Maybe didn't wasn't great in, in his debut over in France, if memory serves me correctly, but he's a guy who has a, a big upside in terms of, like, his uh, tactical ability is unbelievably good. And the guy who I think will go far, Paul Hughes, is probably going to be in this division pretty soon, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any any other guys there? Leroy L- L- Murphy, I have to mention. I mentioned this side of the world, guys. I love him. He's such a good fighter.
1: He was on my list of fighters to watch for UFC.com last year at this time, put together like 2022, these are guys, and said exactly what you said, like unbeaten in the UFC, coming off a good win over Amar Khani, I believe was still his last fight, and then we just didn't see him this year. He's certainly in that mix. Um, I'm I'm still super interested in Ricardo Hamos. Because when you can set up those spinning back elbows, I want to see them all the time. Nathaniel Wood, right? 2-0 in the division has looked very, very good. He's certainly on that list. He's ranked, but Movsari Vloyev, get well soon and and get back out here because he's in the mix. And then, you know, going going a little further down, we mentioned Tapuri already. He's an absolute monster. Joe Anderson-Britu has looked good in his last couple of fights. He's in there. Um, William Gomi, as you mentioned, there's just some good, there's some good young up and coming talent. I mean, there's a bunch of guys again that came off of contender series that, that will be interesting to see how they progress going forward. We already saw Francis Marshall make his debut in Orlando and get a win over um, Marcelo Hoyo. Um, Isaac Dulgarian is a good emerging fighter. Jack Jenkins is another Aussie coming over. Good fighter. It's, it's a great division. It's just a great division. There's, there's loads of fun to be had in this division. Indeed. So we've gone through all the
0: divisions and there's only one person left to talk about. And that is the biggest star in the history of the sports. Conor McGregor 2023. What do you think happens? What, what's next for Conor McGregor? What's he going to do?
1: So we're in agreement that he comes back, right? Like he yeah. he wants to fight and he's he's coming back. I said it before. I think I said it on one of our preview shows, but I think it's Mike Chandler. Mm. Like I think Chandler, I think Chandler agrees to go up to to welterweight and just takes that fight. Because what yeah. else is there for Michael Chandler right now? True. Right? He's in he's in sort of no man's land. And we didn't talk about him at lightweight because he's in no man's land sure he got the win over Tony Ferguson earlier this year but he's lost to Gaethje he's lost to he's lost to Oliveira he's lost to Dustin Poirier so he's kind of out of the title mix I don't need to see him I don't need to see him lose to Islam Mahashev to know that he would lose to Islam Mahashev and so I think there's enough I think the two of them can create enough steam to get people interested I would like to see that a second
0: fight back from McGregor I, I, I would lie and I said it for a while I think the Tony Ferguson fight makes too much sense right because if you think about it McGregor's lost two in a row for being honest he's been out for a year and a half with a broken leg Tony Ferguson has lost what three in a row or a few in a row or whatever it is they're both like Tony Ferguson's ranked number 15 McGregor's just out of the rankings now like from that point Tony of view Tony Ferguson being ranked number 15 is a fucking atrocity what's McGregor being ranked probably was at that stage as well
1: agreed yeah so agreed. Does that fight I, I mean, make sense, no? it's, it certainly makes sense from a like name value, whatever, like I enjoyed RDA's call out of them. I don't think that happens because I don't think that's interesting enough. I don't, I think that's too tough a fight. I think that's too dangerous of a fight. Tony Ferguson probably makes sense. I just don't need to see the ghost of Tony Ferguson anymore. Yeah, but like
0: all of those other fights make sense the second fight back.
1: I wouldn't mind seeing him
0: fight RDA the second fight back. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Chandler. Yeah, if if you
1: can convince Connor and the UFC can find... Somebody that's market. So what he needs right now is similar to that. Cerrone, when he came back yeah. and fought Donald. Cerrone. <laughs> that's Tony Ferguson. Right? That's exactly that's what, what he needs yeah. yeah. And so much like I didn't want to see him face Donald Cerrone because it was like, what the fuck are we doing here? He's going to blow this guy out in a minute and people are going to overreact to it. He's going to, if he's, if he's 75%, right. He crushes Tony Ferguson. Right. Yeah. Mm. If he's if he's seventy five percent right physically oh, yeah. and mentally Will he, be he crushes Tony Ferguson. Like, maybe maybe doesn't even have to be seventy five percent. I, I right. don't
0: think you like Tony Ferguson
1: he's prime, McGregor absolutely destroys
0: him. I I've always said that, Graham has always said that. I just it's hard to know. Like more than anything else, this leg break and not being able to train and all that, after being out for so long before that, not training and not putting everything into it and boxing and doing fucking films and everything like that, it's just impossible. No, he tweets it all and he says it all and all. And I've spoken to him and he said it to me. But like, is that? The, it's hard to decipher. Decipher. There you go again. Between the there truth
1: and the the noise with McGregor yeah, and it, he is the hardest person. Him and John Jones are the most difficult people to filter out the noise because is it, is it just noise and is it just beaking for the sense of I need to make everybody still think that I feel that I'm puffed my chest out the best in the world. I can, I can murder all of these fools. As Connor probably has said at some point or some variation I'm paraphrasing, but you know, and so I would love to see him. I would love to see like a real test that isn't a like, this dude has no chance test. Dan Hooker? Lovely. Yes. Sign me up. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's do it. Okay, that's it. I, I'll take Dan Hooker. Sign me up. I'll yeah. take that.
1: Yep. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. All
0: right. We will uh, We will leave it there. Spencer, thank you very much. I kept you for fucking nearly two hours here. I'm always like, ah, 45 minutes. And now we go. No. This, this, is, this is, this is put in happened. my schedule for two hours. Yeah, <laughs> That's the way to do it. Um, we will do another one of these... Uh, probably at the end of February, maybe, or something like that, because uh, they're always fun and they're always great. Um, so, thank you very much, Spencer. If you're not watching and listening and interacting with all the Spencer stuff, please absolutely do. There's almost one a day over on the Severe May YouTube um, at e. Spencer Kite over on Twitter. You'll find it all there. You'll find it all on severeame.com as well and at Severe May uh, on Twitter, doing some brilliant work, betting shows and previews and all of the maybe the, the Jonathan Pierce's if, you're, if I was reading Spencer's stuff I'm sure I would have heard of, of, of Jonathan Pierce and I probably did at some stage, but my memory is so terrible but uh, that's where you get all of that and that's where you see all of that and I encourage everyone to, to check all of that out as well as all the other great work with all the other great lads up on severe MMA. so thank you Spencer thank you to everyone for listening Merry Christmas to everyone Happy New Year Happy Holidays Happy Hanukkah whatever way you celebrate it happy to you and uh, we will leave it there look.